NATO chief Jens Stoltenberg arrived in Kiev on an unannounced visit along with French and British defense ministers Sebastian Le Cornu and Grand Sheps. Meanwhile, Russia continues its terror against Ukrainian cities and started the sham trial against Ukrainian prisoners of war. You're listening to the Explaining Ukraine podcast. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by Ukraine World, an English-language website about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher, journalist and chief editor of Ukraine World. I'm joined by my colleague Anastasia Harasimchuk, journalist and analyst at Ukraine World, to discuss key events in and around Ukraine for the last week. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Let me remind you that you can support our work at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We provide exclusive content for our patrons. You can also support our volunteer trips to the front lines at paypal, ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. You can find these links in the description of this episode. Hello, Nastya. Thanks so much for joining the show. So let me ask you to uh, give us a summary of key events and trends in and around Ukraine over the past week. We start from September 25th, Monday, until today, Friday, 29th. Hello, Volodya. Today we are going to touch upon our traditional topics, meaning the Ukraine's counteroffensive and Russian attacks against Ukrainian cities. We are also going to pay attention to the diplomatic side of events. And here I'm talking about the visits of uh, high-ranking representatives of Western allies of Ukraine, the ministers of defense of the UK and of France, and of NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. And we also uh, will pay attention to another war crime Russia uh, has committed, and it's an illegal trial against Ukrainian prisoners of war. Thank you. Indeed, this is a very important topic. And uh, let us let us start with these um, high-level visits, because they're really important and in a sense uh, unprecedented. So they also showed uh, show a big sign of support on the part of NATO leadership, in particular Secretary General uh, Jens Stoltenberg. So what can you say about these visits? Kiev has become a venue for um, high-ranking guests uh, in Ukraine on the 28th of September. Uh, so um, the NATO... Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg came in on an unannounced visit, so it it's becoming used for Ukraine. No, no one uh, in a public space expected this visit. So his main uh, aim to visit Ukraine was to meet with the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, and they uh, hold negotiations where they discussed very important topics regarding. Uh, Ukrainian military capabilities in face of uh, Russian attacks. And the main focus was exactly on the strengthening of Ukraine air defense. And Jens Stoltenberg emphasized this moment. Uh, he told that uh, strengthening these capabilities for Ukraine is are of extreme importance, alongside with the ammunitions for artillery 
uh, that are vital for the front lines. Uh, the uh, sides also discussed uh, the upcoming, uh, the next year NATO summit, which will take place in uh, Washington. And Jens Stoltenberg um, commented on Ukraine's perspective of NATO membership, and he told that Ukraine is as close to the alliance, to the membership, as it has never been before. Uh, so basically, uh, his visit was focused on discussing these topics. But there were two other important guests in Kiev on that day. Uh, the French Minister of Defense, uh, the, uh, the French Minister of Defense, Sebastien Lecornu, uh, arrived in Kiev with a number of representatives uh, from French uh, defense industry. Uh, so these negotiations were very important exactly in terms of military uh, and defense cooperation between France and Ukraine. And as a result of this uh, visit, Ukraine and France and Ukrainian and French uh, in this, uh, military industry companies signed more than 20 agreements. Uh, so it's a huge step forward, uh, not only in general cooperation between France and Ukraine, but exactly in this strategic military sphere. Uh, so um, I would say that these agreements and this, uh, like a big launch of military cooperation, defense industry cooperation, is a part of a bigger picture. And as we've already discussed in previous episodes, uh, that Ukraine is becoming a point of attention by uh, Western military, uh, Western weapons producers. Uh, before we talked about the cooperation with Britain, uh, Germany, Sweden, and recently there were news about the uh, cooperation with the U.S. in the sphere of uh, weapon reproduction. And now we, we have France here. So it's a part of a big strategic uh, picture uh, where um, the uh, production of Western weaponry will be localized in Ukraine. And it's not only about strengthening the ties between, uh, between our states, but it's also about the strengthening of Ukrainian capabilities. And uh, what is also important to mention here uh, when Ukraine starts uh, producing Western uh, models of weapons on its territory, uh, legally, uh, Ukraine will not have to ask permission to, to use, uh, to use uh, these weapons according to uh, Ukraine's needs. Of course, it's not the um, short-term perspective, and we do not talk about uh, tomorrow's events uh, in this regard. But strategically, it uh, not only increases Ukraine's capabilities, but it also gives more flexibility for Ukraine to act. Another important topic of discussion between the sides was about uh, weapons supplies and uh, military training. So France um, is going to continue uh, training Ukrainian soldiers and uh, it will not give up on uh, supplying weapons to Ukraine, which is extremely important. Regarding the British uh, defense minister, uh, he, uh, he it was his first visit to Ukraine in this position. Uh, and the main focus of uh, negotiations with him was 
again on strengthening Ukraine, Ukrainian air defense. But what is the most important regarding his visit is that um, while talking uh, to the president of Ukraine, um, the topic of security guarantees for Ukraine were opened. So uh, there were these negotiations, the discussion about the beginning of negotiations on security guarantees for Ukraine, which is um, another uh, extremely important uh, issue for Ukraine. Indeed, I think the the topic that you mentioned, the topic of uh, uh, arms production is one of the key topics today because we understand that uh, there are problems of um, arms supplies both in Russia and in Ukraine and uh, in the Western partners. And basically, uh, if we talk about even Ukrainian partners, many uh, observers, many experts are saying that there is uh, actually the stocks are almost empty. And uh, of course, in a situation when Ukraine has to face a long war and the increasing number of people understand it and realize that, uh, then Ukraine needs more more uh, arms supplies. At the same time, it's it's important to look at what's happening on the front line, and uh, we see that the news coming from the front line are showing that Ukraine does have uh, quite a good number of munitions to attack Russians on the south and maybe to uh, achieve breakthrough. So we will talk about this, I think, uh, very often on, on this podcast. Let us uh, turn into to other topics and discuss uh, what is actually happening and, and this is our routine topics. Uh, what is what is what is happening with Russian bombarding of the Ukrainian cities because Russia keeps attacking Ukrainian cities. We discussed in the previous episode the attack, brutal attack on Odessa where you must leave. What, what has happened during this week between 25th and 29th of uh, September? That's very unfortunate to say, but nothing changes in Russian tactics. And again, I, I can't help emphasizing that it's so horrible to say that nothing changes uh, because every attack is a new threat to people's lives and a new threat to Ukraine's economy. But unfortunately, we already uh, we are already talking about it as a usual routine. Nevertheless, it doesn't decrease the meaning uh, of uh, these attacks, and it doesn't um, make um, like it, it shouldn't make it less uh, important for our audience because these are extremely important things and dangerous things. Uh, so this uh, week, Russia mainly attacked Ukraine using uh, the strike UAVs. Uh, these were the most massive attacks, and one of the biggest. Uh, uh, Attacks took place on the night of 26th of September. It was a Shahed uh, drone's attack on the south of Odessa Oblast, uh, which also has become a usual target for, for Russians. And in this case, the drones uh, were so close to, again, were so close to Ukrainian-Romanian border. And even the checkpoint, uh, its name is Orl Orlivka Isakcha, uh, 
so this checkpoint was damaged. And what is the most uh, dangerous here, what was the most awful here, that at the moment of the attack, several buses with people were standing on the uh, checkpoint. They were waiting to cross the Romanian border. And luckily, uh, those people who work uh, at that uh, checkpoint managed to uh, hide uh, those people from the buses, so no one uh, was wounded, but still, like we understand how uh, dangerous this game is. So Russia is uh, playing not only on Ukrainian nerves, but also on uh, NATO state nerves. Like they are uh, trying, um, they are trying to understand how far they can uh, go using these attacks. And at this attack, um, several dozens of lorries were damaged. And again, we are talking about the grain storages. But it was not only the, the, the only Russian attack. Uh, other regions of Ukraine were also under the threat. And here we are talking about central Ukraine, for example, um, for example, Cherkasy. Uh, and uh, eastern part of Ukraine, uh, it was under the uh, heavy missile attacks. And here I'm talking about, um, about Sloviansk, about Kramatorsk. Uh, so these cities were attacked uh, by ballistic missiles, as well as uh, Mykolaiv today in the morning. So we see that Russians uh, traditionally use UAVs, but every week shows us that the number of ballistic missiles attacks is increasing. Indeed, and w when we are talking about the uh, the routine attacks, obviously, well, these are routine attacks, but, but people suffer from these attacks. The number of dead people in Ukraine uh, has, from each attack, we see some people wounded, some people who died. Sometimes it's it's just several people. Sometimes it's dozens of people, but we always need to remember for for those people who are you know have the war fatigue in, in our in our audience probably abroad that each such attack is can be mortal and each su uh, such attack can can bring you human suffering, and therefore Ukraine is fighting so much to to stop it, to stop the war and to stop Russia. So let us talk about the the events on the front line, what is happening on the front line, because we increasingly see the news that uh, Ukraine achieves certain successes in the South, and maybe we are close to to a big breakthrough. What you can say about this? Talking about the counteroffensive, let's focus on several directions, several key directions. Um, first of all, uh, let's talk about the Donetsk direction. And here there is an important news from the front lines. Uh, here we can talk about one more strategic uh, gain of Ukraine's armed forces. Uh, and here I'm talking about the fire control over the highway Bakhmut-Gorlivka by Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian armed forces. Uh, why it is so important? Because this uh, highway is a very important logistic route, uh, which Russia uses uh, to um, to uh, transfer weapons and uh, troops to Bakhmut direction. So now uh, these uh, weapon supplies and troops movements are much more complicated by uh, Ukrainian fire control. Uh, 
the last week Ukraine managed to um, take or take back uh, several important uh, villages. Uh, like not only the last week, but several previous weeks, they were important gains, uh, like like Klishivka, for example. And amid uh, these advancements, Russian Russians are trying to um, to make their groupings there stronger, and uh, they sent additional fifty thousand uh, troops, uh, group of troops. Uh, to that direction, and they are trying to regain recently lost positions, but uh, luckily, and thanks to titanic efforts of our uh, Ukraine's armed forces, uh, they do not succeed in these attacks, in these attempts. Uh, Getting to the southern direction, um, we can say about gradual advancement uh, so ukrainian armed forces are gradually moving forward as as you've already have told uh, getting ready for a major break breakthrough so now we are talking about this preparatory uh, stage we are not uh, talking about like huge gains and huge breakthroughs now uh, ukraine's armed forces are getting ready for uh, much more important attacks uh, but at the same time, uh, Russian Russian side, knowing uh, and understanding uh, Ukrainians' strategic plans, uh, they are trying to uh, fortify, to strengthen their defense lines even more. And uh, they created a new fortification in the south of Tokmak, uh, which is uh, it's a strategically important city. Ukraine is uh, gradually gradually getting closer to, and they are building these uh, these objects on the sides of the road Tokmak Robotine. Uh, so Robotine is already uh, under Ukraine's control. So we understand that Russians are trying to prevent Ukraine from going uh, going forward. And uh, while we are talking about these two major uh, directions, we shouldn't omit uh, Kupiansk direction. Uh, it, um, Kupiansk is in uh, uh, Kharkiv region, so it's uh, more of a northern uh, eastern direction. So Russians used attacks on this area to uh, divert uh, the attention of Ukraine's armed force- forces from the main uh, parts of the front line from the main directions of counteroffensive. So they were trying to uh, take as much um, uh, troops and weaponry as possible to that direction. And here there are some changes uh, in Kupiansk direction. Uh, so uh, Ukraine's armed forces report about the decreased level of on-ground operations by Russians, and it can be explained by the necessity to deploy these troops on other directions, namely in the southern one. But at the same time, Russians intensified air raids on this area. Uh, so even though these tactics of diverting uh, the attention and forces of uh, Ukraine, U- Ukrainian army to this, uh, to this direction, uh, these tactics uh, doesn't effectively work uh, and Russians need to, um, to strengthen other flanks. But unfortunately, uh, still uh, Russia has the dominance uh, in the air, so they can easily use these uh, air raids, air strikes 
on less strategically important uh, parts of the front line. And um, I also want to mention several uh, commands uh, of uh, Western uh, officials uh, regarding the Ukraine's counteroffensive. Like so many times, we talked about the impermissibility and acceptability of um, criticism towards the pace and the way Ukraine's counteroffensive is going on, because only uh, Ukrainians command and people on the ground know uh, what is going on and how to do, um, how to plan operations effectively and how to save. Uh, lives of Ukrainian military. And now uh, some uh, Western officials agree with that. And uh, for example, General Ben uh, Hodges, uh, he criticizes those who shame, uh, he shamed those who criticize Ukraine's counteroffensive, saying that uh, Ukraine is, uh, Ukraine has to move forward without having enough weaponry and without uh, support from the air. And he even told that no one, not nor British troops, neither American troops would send their people for counteroffensive without the support from the air. Uh, so gradually people in the West uh, are starting to understand that um, expectation is one thing and the reality is something totally different. And uh, now uh, Western officials also understand that Russia um, had time to build these fortifications and defense lines to the extent uh, they, they are that strong that uh, Ukraine has uh, problems to overcome them now. So it's uh, all about the lost time and inefficient uh, supply of equipment. So now we can only say that, yes, the time is lost. But the good side is that um, the awareness of these facts are raising in the West. Yes, indeed. Uh, it's it's actually contrary to NATO strategies to make an offensive without this superiority in disguise. And this is what Ukraine lacks. It still has much lesser number of fighter jets than Russia does. And therefore, there is so much talk about F-16s, the, the modern fighter jets that need to be supplied to Ukraine. But uh, despite all that, Ukraine is, is uh, performing this counteroffensive. Or rather, let's let's call it not counteroffensive, but rather the process of liberation of its own lands. But yeah, the, the, the question is, if Ukrainians succeed in breaking through these huge lines of defense in, in the south that Russians have built, and Russians have plenty of time to build it, almost a year actually, uh, the question is whether Russians will not have uh, other lines of defense. So the the pace of the of this process also uh, causes and has the influence on on the pace of Russian Russian construction of new defense lines. And we need to understand that when we are talking about Tokmak, we are talking about a city which is halfway towards such city as Melitopol. And basically, uh, if, if Ukrainians succeeded to take it, they will be much closer to the Sea of Azov. In, if the Ukrainians go to the Sea of Azov, to the seashore, they will be able to actually control Crimea, right? And the tragedy of all these events is that Russians have taken these territories in the matter of days, and uh, Ukrainians are trying to retake it 
in a matter of months or even years. And that's how it is all going. Okay, let us talk about other things. And for example, Russia's attempt to connect Mariupol, which they practically destroyed but occupied with the Russian territory. What you can say about this, Nastya? Yes, the last week we've received the news that Russians are going to build a railway uh, which will connect occupied Ukrainian uh, territory, occupied Ukrainian south with uh, Russia. And it is a strategic step made by uh, Russia in response to Ukraine's attacks on Crimea. So when we are talking about this railway, first of all, we think about the logistic routes. And uh, given the successful and very effective attacks of Ukraine armed forces on strategic points uh, in Crimea and on Crimea breach, uh, namely, uh, Russians are trying to find alternative routes not to be so dependent on uh, the Crimean bridge. And that is an alarming uh, alarming sign and it's an alarming event because uh, if Russians manage to build this railway, uh, then um, these supplies uh, and logistics in general uh, for uh, Russian armed forces will keep going effectively. And our attempt to cut it um, f- from Crimea, to cut the use of Crimean routes uh, to support the front lines, so can be um, the effect of it can be reduced. So it, it is extremely important not to let Russians uh, build this railway, and for this hands we also need this long distance, uh, distance precise uh, uh, missiles like. Uh, Atakums and of course the jets, uh, but still, uh, even though there are these alarming news uh, from the Russian side and their um, attempts to um, make their um, their logistic more stable, uh, Ukraine keeps uh, conducting special operations in Russian rear. And uh, this is the part of the whole strategy, uh, very smart strategy of waging war uh, that uh, is focused on depriving the uh, enemy of uh, possibilities to support its military forces. So we are talking about strategic military objects like uh, factories, storages, warehouses, etc., And uh, today, the security service of Ukraine conducted another special military operation in Kursk. Uh, So uh, they attacked a power substation that provided important military objects uh, with electricity. Uh, And this attack was conducted by using the uh, UAVs. And it was a very successful attack. So even though Russians report that all the UAVs were shot and there are no consequences of this attack, the result is uh, is clear. Uh, those um, military objects do not uh, get electricity anymore. Uh, so it is one more important step towards um, providing Ukraine with, um, let's say, capabilities, not... Uh, fire capabilities, not weaponry capabilities to uh, successfully conduct counteroffensive, but it's like preparing the rears uh, for successful continuation of our counteroffensive. Indeed, uh, and 
more and more attacks on the Russian territory we see, and uh, actually, it is very naive to think that you can you can win the war without actually creating troubles in the rear of your of your enemy. And of course, the the main the main aim of these attacks on the rear and on the Russian territory are precisely to cut these logistic routes, to cut to cut supplies, various supplies, munition supplies, uh, electricity supplies. Um, I don't know fuel supplies, uh, food supplies to the army, etc., etc. And maybe the last topic for today: uh, Russia has started a trial, a sham trial against Ukrainian prisoners of war. Twenty-four defenders of Mariupol are persecuted under false allegations. What can you say about this? That's we are witnessing another war crime. Uh, and it is being committed by Russians in front of our eyes. Uh, so uh, what, what is the whole story of this prosecution? Uh, the um, defenders of Mariupol are now under trial. Um, they are accused of terrorist activities and uh, attempts to uh, topple uh, the power, Russian power in the occupied territories. And um, they are facing a life imprisonment, unfortunately. So these 24 defenders are under a, a real threat. And um, while when why I'm talking about war crimes? Because according to the international law, uh, any trials against uh, the prisoners of war are prohibited. They are illegal. So uh, in a civilized world, uh, such trials would never happen and the results, uh, like the verdict of this trial, would be never um, accepted uh, by civilized countries. Uh, so um, what is alarming here is that um, we saw the state uh, of uh, those uh, Ukrainian prisoners who are in Russian jail. They are uh, extremely exhausted. They are extremely thin. It is clear that they are um, malnutritioned. They most probably don't get enough food because you, you see their awful state. They, are, they, are, they don't look like um, healthy, healthy people. So it's also telling about the, uh, the conditions under which they are kept in Russian prisons. And unfortunately, there are no uh, legal mechanisms uh, to stop these sham trials in Russia. So no one can uh, make any impact on Russian um, authorities. We, we can say hundreds of times that it is, it is illegal. It, it shouldn't be done like that. Uh, but only uh, serious sanctions and decisive actions against Russia can change the situation. And... Um, Thinking about why, why it is happening, why exactly now another 24 uh, prisoners of war are under trial. Now, it comes to my mind that um, it can be a response to the hearings that started in the International Criminal Court uh, regarding the deportations case. Uh, so uh, those uh, children uh, who uh, were returned back to Ukraine, like uh, those, uh, there are not so many of them. It's extremely difficult to 
take them back to Ukrainian territory. So several of those children who were taken back to Ukraine from deportation, they are giving evidence, uh, they are testifying in the International Criminal uh, Court in the Hague uh, in these days. So most probably uh, Russians decided to launch this uh, sham trial as a retaliation or a symbolic revenge uh, in response to these hearings that are uh, happening in the International Criminal Court. Maybe, maybe you're right. And, and this is this is an attempt to say, okay, uh, you have judgments on our people and we will have judgments and trials on your people. But uh, we know about the case of our friend, Maxim Butkevich, who is a human rights activist in Ukraine, who, who defended... Uh, years of his life, uh, the the rights of refugees. And uh, of course, when Russian Russia attacked, he was one of those people who took up arms and then he was taken prisoner of, uh, prisoner of war by the Russians. And they just made up the whole process against him. They invented all the allegations, all the, uh, all the accusations against him and just have given him uh, 13 years and we have also seen his photos from the uh, appellation trial trial of appeals and uh, it's horrible how he looks very thin uh, like you have the impression that they they do not give food to prisoners of war at all we know how maxim was looking before and how he looks now Okay, so this is the situation we need to face and understand. Thank you, Nastya. Thank you very much for this conversation. Um, it was it was a pleasure to talk to you, and thank you for this analysis. I had uh, Anastasia Heresimchuk, journalist and analyst at Ukraine World. This was a podcast explaining Ukraine by Ukraine World, a website in English about Ukraine. Uh, you can always support us at Patreon, patreon.com slash Ukraine World. You can all also support our volunteer trips to the front lines at PayPal, ukraine.resistinggmail.com. And as usual, we call you to stay with Ukraine. Uh, stay with us and stand with Ukraine. Thank you. Thank you.